Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For we observed a star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it had been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. May God bless the reading of this word. So many of you may be wondering, you know, why are we doing all this Christmas stuff all over again? I thought, isn't that over? Didn't we do that a few weeks ago already? Uh, And it's a good question. Actually, right now, today is Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is the official ending of Christmas, uh, where the Christmas celebration ends and the manifestation or the incarnation of Jesus begins. Oftentimes, in tradition, some of the tradition, Christian traditions, the baptism of Jesus is celebrated on Epiphany. And, of course, the three wise men are celebrated on uh, Epiphany in, this, in the whole story. In fact, the whole, the whole Matthew telling of the birth of Jesus is kind of the focus of Epiphany, which we don't really talk about on Christmas. On Christmas, we talk about Luke's story of the Christmas, uh, the birth of Jesus, a whole different story. And I know in the nativity scene, we kind of conflate the two. Uh, and sometimes in the, the birth story, we, we put the two together, but really there are two very separate birth narratives. Luke's narrative, which we, we celebrate on Christmas, uh, has the angel appearing to Mary and Mary singing, you know, writing that beautiful, the song of Mary, the Magnificat, and John, and, you know, uh, the, the angel coming to Elizabeth, and they, they have to go, the census is happening, and they have to go to Bethlehem for the census, even though they live in Nazareth, and that's where they go and do all of that, and the shepherd, you know, the manger, no room at the inn, all of that business, that's in Luke, and the shepherds, and the angel appearing to the shepherds and sing, you know, the beautiful music that comes out of that. All that is in, is in Luke. 
Matthew has a much more somber tone, kind of a, it's more of a PG-13 telling of the, the birth narrative. It, as you can tell by the service today, it's, it's a more somber contemplative experience. There's a lot of different things that happen in Matthew. In Matthew, first of all, they don't, Jesus isn't born in a stable, they just live in Bethlehem, and that's, that's kind of where they, uh, where they, Mary and Joseph live. And Joseph is the main character. Mary doesn't say anything in Matthew and is only mentioned once when Jesus is born. <laughs> so Mary's not the main player like she is in Luke. In Luke, Joseph's only mentioned briefly in, in Luke. So the, the angel appears to Joseph, tells Joseph not to worry about taking Mary as, uh, as his wife. And they give birth to a son. And the, the wise men come from the east. Now, the east in biblical language is Persia and Assyria, which is modern-day Syria and modern-day Iraq would have been kind of what they mean when they say that, that wise men or magi came from the east who followed a star to find the... the the answer to an ancient prophecy that, which begs the question, why do these people in Persia know anything about the Messiah in Israel uh, turning up uh, at the sign of a star? And one, I, I'm wondering what Matthew intended for us to know about that. And I suppose what, what Matthew means for us to speculate about is that during the Babylonian exile... When the, uh, when the people of God were shuffled off to Babylon, which is where modern Iraq is, uh, they would have, maybe they shared some of their hopes and dreams for a Messiah who would come and rescue them. And that, uh, that group of people, there was a group of people there maybe who appropriated that prophetic word into their own tradition. Yeah, and the, the people who would have the means and wherewithal to read the signs and the stars and follow them were probably the Zoroastrians, uh, which was uh, an ancient religion that predated Christianity and Islam in all of the Middle East. So uh, these were supposed to probably imagine these wise men and being Zoroastrians who are following a star uh, from this ancient prophetic word that came from an ancient people who had returned to their homeland. And um, so these wise men, and, and the Bible doesn't say there was three, by the way. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, we made that up probably because of the three gifts, right? There's three. <laughs> so, but there are wise, wise men, magi, who come from the east. And at first they go to Jerusalem, the first major city near Bethlehem, and they go to Herod, the king. And they say, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. And this freaks Herod out. What do you mean the king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. <laughs> no, no, we've seen his star rising and he's going to be born and he's going to take over the world. He's going to kick you off the throne is probably what's going to happen. And of course, Herod freaks out and he tells them, well, when you find him, come and tell me about it. And uh, uh, they are told in a dream not to do that. But they go and they find Jesus in Bethlehem. And they come and they pay homage, they worship him, and they offer him uh, some gifts. Now later on, they're told not to go back to Herod, and Herod realizes what happens, and Herod does a terrible thing. He orders the execution of every boy child under the age of two. 
uh, mimicking for us the Exodus story. This is what happened in the Exodus story. The children were slaughtered. All the children were slaughtered by Pharaoh because the the uh, Hebrew were getting too strong. And by that, I think Matthew wants us to realize one of the messages of Matthew is that Jesus is the new Moses who is going to lead God's people out of slavery. However, by drawing in these people from the east, by drawing in these, these rather exotic magi from the east who come bringing exotic gifts and who, who come from the east and then return to the east as far as we know, uh, it reminds us or it tells us that in Matthew, what Matthew wants us to know is that the significance of Jesus' birth is not just for the Hebrew people, not just for Palestine and Jerusalem, but it is for the whole world and all people. Amen? That Jesus came, that the significance of that event and the impact that it has on the world goes far beyond just the context of uh, Jesus' little Bethlehem and Jerusalem and, all, and the political wherewithal or hubbub that's going on there. And of course, we stand here to testify to the truth of that as we are in America worshiping this Jewish uh, preacher from Palestine. So uh, we can see that. But they come bringing these unique gifts. Gold that is a gift for a king acknowledging Jesus' kingship. Uh, frankincense, which is uh, uh, useful in worship, uh, acknowledging Jesus as high priest and one worthy to be, to be worshipped. And myrrh, uh, a healing ointment, acknowledging Jesus' uh, desire to heal the loved, loveless, and lost. And uh, an ointment often used in burial ceremonies, acknowledging Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Uh, and... Uh, Redemption of all through that sacrifice. Amazing gifts brought to Jesus. I don't know how practical it is for uh, Carpenter and his family, but uh, of course they're meant to be symbolic. And it makes me wonder, what, what gifts are we called to bring? We who have been affected. We who have noted the star of Jesus in our own lives. We who have seen that light and chosen to follow that light. We who have chosen to come and worship and pay homage. What is the, what are the gifts that we bring? Is it our worship? Is that the gift that uh, we bring to Jesus? It is significant. I know getting up on a Sunday, that's difficult. That's hard to do. And uh, Hebrews tells us through Christ, then we continually bring our sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips who follow Jesus. Uh, is this our offering to Jesus Christ? Maybe. Maybe that's part of it. Certainly, certainly that's how I want to look at my, my worship here as, as a gift of praise. As a, as a, as a, I, I hardly see it as a sacrifice. I know a lot of you do. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, we bring that gift of praise and worship to God on Sunday mornings. And uh, maybe it's our time and our treasure and our talent. You know, it was recently we did our pledge drive and I was talking about how important giving sacrificially is and giving of our time and our treasure and our talent. That this, you know, this church only runs when we all 
pull together and, and work together to make the ministry happen. And maybe that is the gift that we bring, our, our time, our talent, our treasure. However, had I remembered my Bible, I would be turning to it right now. I left it up here. <laughs> but uh, the prophets warn us of not, not bringing those things uh, just on their own and counting on them to kind of carry the weight of our devotion. Isaiah 1 says this. Says, oh, here's the other issue I got going on. <laughs> Isaiah 1 says, uh, When you come to appear before me, who asked this of your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense an abomination to me. Uh, your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing them. You stretch out, when you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And, and he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Isaiah is basically saying, look, your, your worship is empty unless you take care of these other things, unless there's more to it than just bringing uh, money and grain and just spending time in church. There's got to be something more to that. And it has to do with justice. It has to do with taking care of people. Amos says kind of the same thing in 5. Um, he says, uh, as... It says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. Uh, even though you're offering me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So, yes, our time, talent, and treasure, those are important things that we bring. But there's got to be something more to it. Something that inspires this this longing for justice, something that emboldens us to be the people of God that God has called us to be in Christ Jesus. There's got to be something more in there. And I think it is something bigger. I think it is something bolder. I think it is something more uh, sacrificial. I think the gift that we bring is our whole selves. Our entire heart. All that we have, all that we are, all that we long to be or ever hope to be. I know that sounds like a lot. <laughs> and I guess it is. That the time, talent, and treasure we've, we, that we ask for and that Jesus tells us is, a, is an appropriate sacrifice is meaningless without the heart of love for all that God is doing in our midst coming with it. Amen? And uh, all of our time in church and worship, really, uh, I don't. If, if you didn't have some kind of com of passion for the Word of God, if you didn't have some kind of longing to see to join Jesus in what Jesus is doing in our midst, if you didn't feel the stirring of the Holy Spirit when you come into this sanctuary, I don't know why you would sit through this. 
<laughs> right? Because uh, I think the worship would be pretty meaningless without that sense of connection and commitment that draws us into the kingdom-building work that Jesus is about today. And so in short, uh, I, we are invited in Epiphany to be the manifestation of Jesus Christ. That's what the word literally means, is manifestation. To be the manifestation of all that Jesus is for the world in our own lives. And the only way we do that is to say, I'm yours. I'm yours. And so if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, keep (laughs) this year. In addition to losing weight and quitting smoking, I invite you to say, I am going to live my life fully for what God is doing in the world and live my life fully for Christ who was born on that wonderful Christmas day and who lived and walked the earth and declared the kingdom to be near, who died on a cross and was risen on the third day and lives with us today. Amen? Let us pray. Our loving and gracious God, we thank you for uh, all that you are and all that you do and all that is represented by, um, by this uh, wonderful story. May we bring the gifts that are pleasing to you of our own lives and our commitment to all that you are doing in our midst. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.